0: Welcome everyone to our first podcast series for the Space Oil Hydrogel franchise. We are very privileged today to be opening up with two experts in the field. We have Professor Zaleski from the US and we have Professor Jane uh, from Ireland. So we're very excited to have the opportunity to have them speak on the scoring system for Space Oil Hydrogel. We are now going to run through uh, some disclaimers. So please hold tight for the podcast to start. Results from different clinical investigations are not directly comparable. Information provided is for educational purposes only. Spasor and or view hydrogels are intended to temporarily position the anterior rectal wall away from the prostate during radiotherapy for prostate cancer. And in creating this space, it is the intent of or and or view hydrogels to reduce the radiation dose delivered to the anterior rectum. Space and space or view hydrogels contain polyethylene glycol. Space or view hydrogel contains iodine. Prior to using these devices, please review the instructions for use for a complete listing of indications, contraindications, warnings, precautions, and potential adverse events.
1: Welcome, everybody, to this exciting event. My name is. Professor Sunil Jain. I'm a professor of clinical oncology at Queen's University, Belfast.
2: Hello, greetings. Uh, my name is uh, Michael Zelevsky. I'm a professor of radiation oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I also serve as the chief of the brachytherapy service here at uh, uh, my institution and the director of genitourinary radiation oncology as well for our department of radiation oncology and serve as a consultant for Boston Scientific.
1: As usual, you've been ahead of the rest of us and you have done a lot of work in developing a spacer quality score. I wonder if you could give us an overview of that score.
2: Sure. I think it's born out of an obvious recognition that, you know, if you have a better placement, the hydrogel spacer will achieve more likely its goal of separating the prostate from the rectum and hopefully reducing toxicity. And, you know, some studies that may have shown a benefit for hydrogel spacer placement um, and sometimes maybe not as dramatic a benefit as we would have anticipated, mm-hmm. it could be very well related to the fact that some of those cases that had the placement of hydrogel, they could have been suboptimal. And if they were, you know, a more optimally placed uh, uh, space or placement, it, it would have maybe had a more dramatic differences that were shown between a spacer placement cohort and uh, a group that didn't have it. And so with that recognition, as others have done, uh, no question, uh, even from the outset, people have recognized that some kind of a metric is going to be important. And I think, as you know, as as you are leading a a prospective uh, randomized trial, the incorporation of some metric into the process, I think is going to be key. In other words, um, for patients who get uh, space or uh, applications, it's necessary then to at least quantify uh, which patients are getting uh, uh, an optimal placement and which retrospectively uh, did not get the optimal placement. Uh, and then obviously this is, should be as a learning tool that we could figure out how we could further improve our abilities to uh, deliver a more optimal, more symmetric, um, a placement that's associated with a greater degree of separation. And so we came up with a pretty robust uh, metric. It still has to be validated on a larger patient sample but at least it's a start in the right direction. And if you could imagine a three by three box, uh, which is like a tic-tac-toe box. And for each levels, that is the base of the prostate and the mid gland of the prostate and the apex of the prostate. We have across that uh, sort of uh, horizontally, Uh, We have right in the middle, the mid line of that base of the prostate and one centimeter to the right and the left of it. We then go to the mid plane of the prostate and we have right at the mid plane, the center, just uh, in in midline of the rectum is another area. We assess the symmetry and the Uh, of of course, the thickness, and to the centimeter to the right and left of that, and the same with the apex. And so we came up with a metric with the help of our biostatisticians that in each of these boxes, so to speak, we characterize how much thickness of spacer was actually achieved. If it is, for instance, a centimeter or more of gel that is there, that's the best score, which we labeled as two. If it is really two millimeters or less of gel that's there, that's less than optimal and that's a a zero score. And when we have something in the middle, that's a one score. And so if you fill out, and complete the scores for each of these nine regions of the prostate by looking at an axial image uh, uh, of an MRI. And you look at the superior or base of the prostate and across horizontally, how much thickness there was in each of those levels and the midplane and the apex, you come up that you can characterize each of those boxes with a score. And that's really the initial part of that metric. And then, based on a prospective ran, uh, prospective study, a phase two study, which was conducted by Mike Folkert, a dose escalation study going to 45 gray with SBRT was comprised of only 42 patients, but we used that 42 patient cohort to at least start the process of developing this metric and characterizing those 42 patients by their scores. It turns out that at least we, and this is maybe the initial part of our metric, it's not a Final uh, and completed process yet, but we are utilizing this to score our patients. Uh, if there is any zero, meaning no gel that's present, uh, then that would ideal. That would not be the ideal implant. And if there are two across the board, there are two spots. Let's say horizontally that would be considered, uh, you know, mostly a score of two. Um, It's hard to show this, you know, just by mere discussion right now. But I think the point that I'd like to get across is that scoring each box, so to speak, by taking into account the symmetry of the implant, of the hydrogel spacer placement, and of the thickness of the gel that's present um, would be very helpful uh, in creating not only the metric, but hopefully predicting how likely the hydrogel spacer placement will be protective um, for rectal toxicity. In this small um, early development of the metric, we found in these 42 patients something quite interesting. Among those, it's sort of intuitive as well, but among those that had scores of two, the best scores, the incidence of rectal toxicity of any kind was dramatically lower compared to patients who didn't have this optimal score. Now, that means if you had a scores of two for the overall score of the implant, that was the optimal placement and that was the probably the type of placement that would be associated with the least amount of toxicity. Now, if, if you don't have anything at the base, but you have excellent at the mid gland and at the apex, is that a good implant? I, I'm, I'm sure it would be. Would it be as protective? That's where we need validation of this study, of this metric development with a larger Uh, cohort of patients. And so the metric development that we have is now in press. And uh, the first author is uh, Craig Grossman, one of our uh, attendings uh, in radiation oncology, um, who led this uh, metric development study. And our next plans would be to take that pivotal uh, study that was used to um, to really uh, demonstrate the efficacy of hydrogel spacer placement and get FDA, ultimately FDA approval for it a number of years ago. Our plan is to take that larger data set, randomized trial, and to retrospectively go back and score all of those patients in terms of what was their symmetry and their... um, their spacer thickness that was achieved and link it with the score that we've developed to toxicity. And perhaps we may come up with, which is our hypothesis, that among those that had, quote unquote, better spacer placements, it was associated with less toxicity. So I think the take home message is that as we move forward with more and more experience globally with the placement of space uh, we need to incorporate some kind of a metric prospectively. And doing that, I, I think will be not only informative in terms of understanding the results, but would be extremely important for the clinician to look back and say, well, what was our score? What could have been better? What could we do technically that could make the uh, the placement more ideal, and I'll I'll i really want to just emphasize one thing here, which is maybe a nuance or a, a kind of novel thought. You know, we always think you got to put the spacer throughout the entirety of the perirectal space, mm. and perhaps not. Perhaps if there's so much "quote unquote" natural space between the rectum and the prostate due to perirectal fat that's there anyway, maybe our focus would be that where it's a little bit tighter and that space is more constrained, maybe that's where the space replacement should be uh, focused and put more attention on. And some of these other areas that already have a lot of distance between the prostate and the rectum may not need even that space. I think that is something that we need to sort of prospectively evaluate as well.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant, uh, and we we certainly see the some patients who have quite quite a significant perirectal space even prior to the procedure, as you say, some patients seem to have more perirectal and periprostatic fat than others, and sometimes it doesn't even correlate with their actual body habitus as well, which which is interesting, um, and certainly we we have our medical physics team have been very interested in your spacer quality score, and we we, we ran a clinical trial in Belfast of, again, a small st- study of 30 patients, all treated with prostate SBRT, and we had CT scans prior to spacer insertion and after spacer insertion, and uh, we looked at the spacer quality score in that cohort of patients, and the distribution of scores was, was very comparable, to the U.S. trial that you mentioned, and I think that was, you know, it was our first use of of spacer within the clinical trial back in 2016, and we we certainly felt a reassurance to see that the results were were similar to other institutions' implants, and we're just in the process of correlating spacer quality score to acute and late toxicity, so We'd be very interested to see the outcomes of that, but then also of the larger pivotal trial data set that you plan to
2: analyze. Yeah, I was just curious that, you know, what what your perspective, you know, would be as far as technically what um, could get in the way of the, quote, the operator in terms of delivering that optimal placement. You know, from our experience, it just could be some... Fibrosis or some anatomical, you know, barrier that uh, prevents the, uh, you know, this the during dissection that opening up of the perirectal space. Have you found any other um, variables that may be uh, linked to less than an optimal placement?
1: Well, I think there are, are many variables. Um, I think the the implanter. Um, implanter's experience is really important. Um, I'm slightly biased in in this view and that I'm a brachytherapist, but I do think that that, uh, practitioners that are experienced in other transperineal techniques, particularly brachytherapy, um, do high quality uh, spacer insertions because, you know, as I was always taught in brachytherapy, patients set up is extremely key. So, if you have a patient that's symmetrically set up on the table um, with a symmetrical pelvis, you insert the probe. By and large, the prostate is central, you know, with the urethra in the midline, and that's optimal for spacer as well. So, certainly, when I'm proctoring other other people in this technique, I emphasise the need for robust setup. Um, and then, you know, the actual procedure as well, having the needle go right down the midline, because it's quite easy for the needle to deviate to re- left or right. And I think that is a risk factor for an asymmetric insertion. Um, and then, as you mentioned, hydrodissection really tells you a lot of information. And I think that some small adjustments at the time of hydrodissection can often lead to a bilateral opening up of the prostate gland. Um, and then another thing that's important is that, you know, we're, we're increasingly doing these procedures under local anesthetic, particularly, I think in the UK, you know, capacity wise, there's a lot of demand on our, our general anesthetic uh, surgical services, uh, especially post COVID. So a lot of these are done under local anesthetic. And it's the same thing as, as really a transperineal biopsy, um, you know, distraction is everything, having somebody up talking to the patient, having a relaxed patient Good uh, a good uh, block to the neurovascular bundles is really important. And so if the patient is relaxed and they're not moving, that that is very important. You know, occasionally you get a hyper-anxious patient who might move a little bit, and, and that you know, that can change where, where your needle is. And uh, you know, certainly we had one patient that no matter what we did, we could we we couldn't stop him moving, and, and we aborted that procedure and, and did it under general anaesthetic instead. Um, And as you say, there are some people that just have inherent um, apparent fibrosis or, you know, or unusual anatomy whereby one side just doesn't open up. And I think that does predict for
2: uh, an asymmetric uh, insertion. Uh, Excellent. I I agree completely with what you had said. I I would say as well, our practice is to mostly use uh, propofol sedation on our patients. Only a very small percentage of our patients get local anesthesia. And really for, to really be, uh, you know, totally relaxed um, and not get in the way of an ideal placement. The other thing which you sort of alluded to is, I think we need to emphasize that the angulation of the ultrasound probe um, can, which can be manipulated, especially to open up a little bit more that region of the apex um, and, and the angulation superiorly or, or, or flex downwards, you know, could provide an opportunity to open up where there is a rectal hump a little bit more and um, potentially um, allow better distribution of the gel in, in areas which may be more uh, challenging than, you know, uh, than at other times. So. I think the take home message, which I think we both said is taking your time, the Mm -hmm. setup um, and really getting everything in place before actually injecting um, the gel is key. Uh, And I think that is going to be associated with better quality and a more optimal implant in the long run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder if I could ask you about the clinical utility of the spacer quality score. Um, I I think that it's very useful for an implanter to get feedback on their individual cases. And commonly you can see the the separation on ultrasound to some extent, uh, and you get some immediate feedback, even on the midline, you you can see and you can measure the separation on ultrasound. But particularly on MRI or CT, if we were, because most of our discussion so far has been on Spacer Classic, but obviously we have Spacer View, which we can use as well, in which case we could define these metrics on CT imaging. Um, you know, so you can get an individual, using the quality score, you could get individual feedback on a case by case basis. But I think, you know, it could also be useful for uh, individual practitioners or even centers to be able to benchmark their quality scores and compare those to larger data sets and that that potentially might identify systematic areas um, where the individual clinician is not getting optimal scores. I wonder, could you speak to potential clinical utility of the quality score?
2: Sure. Uh, It's a great question and an important one. Um, You know, what do we use ultimately these scores for? You know, it reminds us, you know, in the setting of brachytherapy, where we we do, for instance, LDR implants, low dose rate, permanent interstitial, you know, seed implants, a routine assessment of the post-procedure dosimetric analysis is part and parcel of the process. Um, And mostly that was used to give us the feedback of what actually was done. Of course, it was also to determine what actual dose was delivered to the prostate. In some situations, you could go back after a seed implant and implant more seeds. And only really in an operating room, if we could use this metric, not really from MRIs, but from ultrasounds, but wouldn't it be ideal that we're in the Operating room, and um, or the procedure room, and we can we can characterize the the score, the quality score, um, from ultrasound images, uh, and then right there and then get the score and say you know we're missing, we we have good placement, and here's the score at the base and the midline, but the apex is really suboptimal. It it requires obviously some expertise. Uh, It's not something that uh, would be routinely done, Um, but it may be something in the future that if we have that information, we may be able to kind of real time, see where the placement uh, is ongoing and make sure that we have the adequate distributions in regions that could be deficient. Uh, but I think, as you said, if if we get the appropriate feedback from the metric and saying, you know, after 10 cases, everything looks good, but we're really, you're really lopsided and getting most on the right or left, then, um, then re-education of putting the needle, as you said, midline dead center That would be very important feedback to improve uh, distribution. And that's what so many studies have already shown that with greater experience, the quality of the implant does improve. I think the quality of the implant will will improve markedly if we give really good um, and direct feedback about what needs to be improved.
1: And for viewers of this uh, event, I think a lot of them will will be very enthused by the the spacer quality score. Do you think centers could start to use it now or should people hold off? It's great to hear that your paper is in press. Um, Should people wait for further validation or or could, could people start to adopt this
2: as of now? I think people could start collecting this information on themselves uh, and and their procedures because simply what it's doing is it's documenting where on a map, so to speak, where the placement was and what separation into three categories was achieved. The real question that requires validation is what score is associated with less toxicity. Of course, optimal placement, that's like what you said earlier, the textbook pictures, of course, those will be associated with very good results. But if it's mostly, you know, really optimal and there's just a little bit of uh, gel in in one particular area, um, that's gonna require validation and Mm -hmm. larger data sets. And, and ultimately in the randomized trial that you are leading, um, that I think will be very informative in the long run. So uh, just accumulating this information, I think is gonna be educational um, and valuable uh, for every practitioner who is utilizing hydrogel spacing. And that's simply because we are documenting the symmetry and documenting the spacer thickness that was achieved, um, and I think it'll it still provides uh, an important resource of information and potential feedback.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the, the Saber trial, which is a, a trial of prostate SBRT, 40 grade of the PTV as per per your practice, um, intermediate risk prostate cancer, and it's all spacer view. So two, two to one randomization to spacer or view or control. So I suppose if we, we look to the, the future now, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we, we have done work with the, the spacer quality score in Belfast. We'd be very, very keen to have a, a physics PhD uh, work on this um, because we think that there could be potential to automate uh, the, the contouring of the spacer and the derivation of the, space, the spacer quality score and that you could actually batch process that so that a center that has done a certain number of cases could really use an AI approach to, to auto and then derive the scores and then potentially look for patterns in that data that, that could actually guide clinicians as to where, where they are or maybe a slight outlier to a larger database. And with you know, peer review technology and anonymized data sets, um, the, the, the software is there uh, for, for that sort of, you know, maybe even international peer review of, of data sets and, and feedback from experts to allow people to adapt their, their practice. Um, I wonder what you, you think of those as potential future endeavors. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but we would, we would love to collaborate with yourself and your team
2: if, that was, if there was an opportunity for that. Well, absolutely. Uh, we'd love to collaborate. And, and I think the opportunity of just amassing a larger number of patients is really going to uh, be critically important as we move to the next steps in hydrogel spacing, which, which is really the ultimate goal um, to deliver consistently, um, a symmetric and an ideally placed, um, uh, hydrogel spacer, uh, in the perirectal space and automation or auto segmentation, um, and looking for patterns, I think is a fantastic idea. And then ultimately, which may be that Holy Grail, which is potentially doing this real-time feedback in an operating room um, and to guide uh, during the actual delivery of the hydrogel, you know, real-time, making sure that before the case is done uh, that you have the ideal placement. I should mention that our metric and and the 42 patients were with the uh, Spacer Classic um, and the view, uh, which is... Uh, the CT compatible and able to be visualized um, was not tested, but I have no reason to think that the metric would be that much different from one um, to the other. Uh, And again, um, of course in the Sabre trial that you just mentioned, which is utilizing spacer view. Yeah, that's brilliant.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation uh, today Really appreciate all your expert inputs. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to
2: add, Mike, before we wrap up. I have the same mutual feelings. This was a great conversation and certainly look forward to opportunity to collaborate with you um, and others. And of course, wish you the best of luck on the uh, Sabre trial, which is actively accruing right now. So. Great to see you as well. Thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Disclaimer: As with any medical treatment, there are some risks involved with the use of space ore and space or view hydrogels. Potential complications associated with space ore and space or view hydrogels include, but are not limited to. Pain associated with space or and spasal view hydrogels injection, pain or discomfort associated with spasal and spasal view hydrogels, local inflammatory reactions, infection, including abscess, urinary retention, urgency, constipation, acute, chronic, or secondary to outlet perforation, rectal tenesmus, muscle spasm, mucosal damage, ulcers, fistula, perforation including the prostate, bladder, urethra and rectum, necrosis, allergic reaction, localised or more severe reactions such as such as anaphylaxis, embolism, venous or arterial embolism is possible and may present outside of the pelvis, potentially impacting vital organs or extremities, syncope and bleeding. The occurrence of one or more of these complications may require treatment or surgical intervention. 989-811-8B. Caution. The law restricts these devices to sell by or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings and instructions for use can be found in product labelling supplied with each device or at www.ifu-bsci.com information for use only in countries with applicable health authority registrations. This material is not intended for use in France. Important information. The information about patient selection is specific to Dr. Zalewski's practice only. In Canada, space or hydrogel is only approved to be used in prostate cancer patients without evidence of posterior extracapsular extension. In the US pivotal trial, patients with extracapsular extension and previous pelvic irradiation were excluded. The information about patient selection is specific to Dr. Jane's practice only. In Canada, spatial hydrogel is only approved to be used in prostate cancer patients without evidence of posterior extracapsular extension. In the US pivotal trial, patients with extracapsular extension and previous pelvic irradiation were excluded. The information provided is based on the experiences of Dr. Zalewski and Dr. Jane, and does not represent the opinion or recommendation of Boston Scientific. BSC does not promote or encourage use of its devices outside the approved labeling. The presenter's experience of BSC products may not be interpreted or relied upon to support clinical claims about BSC devices or product comparison claims regarding BSC and competitive devices. The experience of other users may vary. This presentation contains several case studies Results from case studies are not predictive of results in other cases. Results in other cases may vary. Regarding the publications referenced in this presentation are for information purposes only. The content of these articles are under the sole responsibility of the authors, publishers, and does not represent the opinion of BSC.